Racer Nation, welcome to episode 23 of the Racer Nation podcast. Wow, we've been saying this for three weeks straight, but it just keeps continuing. The racers keep finding ways to win in the most unpredictable fashions. Uh, we have an amazing episode for you guys tonight. Talk about an awesome win on Thursday night and what was a tremendous atmosphere at the CFSB Center, followed up with one of the craziest performances to keep us undefeated in conference as we now arrive at our number 19 ranking. This episode is going to be chock full of fun conversations, um, sprinkling in some of our old school, uh, our traditional segments with some of the ones that have become um, our fan favorites. So um, without further ado, we're going to kick it off so we can talk all about your number 19 Murray State Racers. Let's go. This is Racer Nation. Welcome to the bank. <sighs> Racer Nation, we can take a deep breath after that Saturday win at UT Martin. I am still wired up. No joke. I checked my watch 20 minutes after the game was over and my heart rate was still over 90 beats per minute. Uh, cannot believe we pulled that game out. Uh, the 62-60 win over UT Martin was so fun uh, post-game. It wasn't fun for most of the game. And, uh, you know, we had our resident traveler of the podcast, Logan, in attendance. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But, wow, what a, what a week in racer basketball. A huge win. I mean, if you guys listened to the podcast last week, we pretty much told you what was going to happen Thursday night. But we're going to let Logan and Sawyer and myself, we're going to recap that with both of those guys being in the building for the big win over Austin P. And, uh, you know, we just keep on moving up. Like Sawyer said in the intro, number 19 in the AP poll this week uh, stayed stayed par in the coaches poll at number 21. But uh, we're doing a little different podcast week this week. We're usually all at home and Logan and I are. But uh, so Sawyer, if you hear him talk, he is actually on South in the beach. So he's doing it from his phone. So Sawyer, how's the weather down in the Gulf of Mexico? Yeah, we, me and the, me and the girls are in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, so a uh, really nice little getaway before my wife goes back to work for, uh, for her maternity leave. But the, we the weather is good. Obviously, the water is really cold, but we're having a fantastic time just doing all the other things around the around the beach that you can't do without going to the beach. So um, it was great. And um, but being down here means I had to watch the racers um, on Saturday from my phone here. So a little bit different of an atmosphere. But, man, um, it was it was insane regardless. So I can't wait to hear. What Logan has to say when we get to it on what it was like inside the arena, I cannot even begin to imagine. As ugly as the uh, game was on Saturday, like Coach McMahon said, a win's still a win. 50 years from now, still going to be a win. When we had our uh, big streak where we were 23-0 and to start the season, um, I heard Coach McMahon mention this on the postgame show with Kenny and Neil that we actually only won at UT Martin by, I believe, seven points, and they were 1-21 that year. And so, you know, you're going to get the the other team's best game, especially when you're Murray State and even more so when you're ranked. So uh, I guess every win's a, a blessing and should be um, should be celebrated. Oh, definitely. You, I agree. And like McMahon said, when you – when you look back at this team in 50 years, no one's going to remember we won by two points. They're just going to remember 
we won definitely. So thanks for pointing that out, Logan. And that win got the racers to 16 and 0 in the OBC, clinched the conference championship, hung another banner, the last chance for us to hang an OBC banner, and we did it. So that that's pretty awesome. As you know, we love hanging banners on this podcast and and around Murray State. Uh, also tied the best record in OBC history. Uh, that was set by that 2015 team that went undefeated 16 and 0 in the conference. So um, pretty cool there. The only other undefeated conference seasons were way, way back when, and they were either 12 or 14 games, something like that. So uh, the 16 and 0 mark ties the the best record in OBC history. And obviously with a win Thursday night, we can break that. But uh, guys, if you, if you hang with me just for a second, uh, I did a lot of research. Well, yeah, decent amount of research for this podcast because we've got a segment a little later on that we're going to get to that uh, we had to dive into. But um, why are I want to look at why are we 16 and 0? Why have we dominated in the OVC this year? And if you guys will stick with me for a second, I've got about 12 stats that's going to make sense, and I'm just going to run through them really quick. So this is conference games and why we are as dominant as we are in the OBC this year. So total offense, we are number two in the conference, Trail Belmont by 0.6 points per game. Uh, total defense, we are number one by a whole two points per game over number two Moorhead. Margin of victory, we are number one in the conference, 17.6 points per game. The next is Belmont at 11, so clearing them by six there. Field goal percentage, we are number two. Opponent's field goal percentage we are number one three-point field goal percentage we are number three opponent three-point field goal percentage we are number one rebounding we are number one offensive rebounding we are number one by a wide margin opponent rebounding we are number one so we hold our opponents to less rebounds than any other team Um, defensive rebounding we are also number one our rebounding margin we are number one by 7.7 the next is Moorhead at 4.2 our turnover margin, we are number two. Our assist to turnover, we are number two. Our turnovers, we are number one, which kind of surprised me by a couple to Belmont. Steals, overall steals, we are number two. And one of the most important stats, attendance, we are number one by over 30,000 people to number two Tennessee Tech, which is kind of surprising. But literally every conference stat that is tracked except for blocks, we are one, two, or three. And the only one we're number three in is field goal, three-point field goal percentage. Every other stat except for blocks, we are either number one or number two in the conference. And that, gentlemen, is how you become 16-0 and 0 in the OVC. Yeah, that's what I love about this team is that's what Coach McMahon always talks about, too, is that they are so much better together than they are as a sum of their parts individually. And any given night, your shooting may not be there. But your defensive rebounding, your your defense sticks with it. Some nights you don't have the defense, but your offense is there. And that's why it's so important is, you know, you like you said, I mean, this team is so balanced in so many ways that if you're whenever to get to 16 and 0, you have to be like that. And that's why it's so rare. You're not a Gonzaga where your talent is just so much, so, so much better across the board. Now, ours is in the OVC, uh, but, you know, that's why it's so it's so critical that we are so balanced across the board and are able to, to bring it every single night. Um, and if not one way, you know, four other ways. So that's why it's so much fun to watch this racer team. And while 
this is this is what this team is going to be remembered for is that balance and their ability to do everything so well and that's a half off to the coaching staff guys just looking at my you know in my research there and looking at these stats i went back to the 2014 2015 team as well and you know tried to see what made them so successful and what you know why they also went 16 and 0 in the conference and it's a lot of the same um, scoring offense murray had a we had a big jump there uh, above the field margin we had a big jump uh, on the field our field goal percentage our field goal percentage defense was very good. Our three point, we were uh, number two. Rebounding, we were number two. Defensive rebounds, we were number one. Uh, didn't hardly turn the ball over at all. Just so all those stats, those team stats, our individual stats are great as well, but it's the team stats. If you can consistently be in the top three of those stats in the OVC on offense and defense, really any conference, I guess you could say, you're, you're going to have a lot of success. So let's talk about that game that got us to 15 and 0. And we, you know, if you guys listen to last week's podcast, we we tried to warn you, and uh, we kind of saw what hopefully would be coming. And Logan and Sawyer, you guys were in attendance and got to gotten to witness probably the best atmosphere in the bank this year uh, so far. And I got to witness it on ESPNU, and it was great. There was no lead in, so we got to watch the whole game. It was a you know recorded program before, so uh, and then the game actually went by really quick as well, and so we got an extended post game from that where they got to talk to McMahon and KJ before the next game started. So just a really great from a broadcast standpoint as well. But the Racers pulled out the big win, put up 91 on P, 91 to 56, and uh, just a lot of fun to watch on TV. And guys, I imagine it was a lot of fun to watch with over nearly 7,000 of your other friends at the bank oh for sure um the atmosphere was just amazing and it's really cool having whether it's espn or cbs um outside media commentators and and analysts come in and just see how special murray state is and especially this team that we have we've been saying it all year a lot of people that have been going to the games have but seems like within the past few weeks people have really been believing and uh, taking notice of what we've got down here. Um, in terms of the game, we touched on it after uh, Thursday night's win. We did a Twitter spaces and really went into depth about um, the game and uh, what Sawyer and I kind of experienced and, and our thoughts on it. But um, I guess one way to sum it up is it was just 40 minutes of racer basketball. That's about as good as I could describe it. Um, we talked about last week how, you know, there was no way we weren't covering the spread. And I think that was probably the easiest bet of my life. Um, should have made it Logan's lock of the week. Missed out on that opportunity. But who knows? We're going to talk later in the podcast about lines coming up uh, for this week's game. May have Logan's lock of the week in the bag for this week. Ooh, I'm intrigued. I like it. Um, yeah, Logan, just to echo what you said, um, it was really cool to see the students had to get there really early and got to run to their seats. That was really cool. Um, that paired with the six o'clock start, that was really refreshing. I uh, wish we could sprinkle in some more of those throughout the season. The crowd was was into it. Um, they were engaged, and and it was a lot of fun. Now, for what happened on the court, you know, we told you those stories last week to get you prepped for what we thought was going to happen. And man, I was I was eating it up as we talked about in the Twitter space. I was I was so excited to see that we jumped out to 
uh, an early lead, a huge early lead, and just kept our foot on the pedal and kept pressing. Um, for me, um, I have to reference one of my favorite Frank Sinatra songs. You know, the nothing but the best is good enough for me when it comes to the Austin P rivalry. I want the racers to play at their absolute best, um, especially when we're playing Austin P. And they brought it and they did it. And uh, as I said um, in the Twitter space, you know, I was guilty of, of being the guy in the stands that was yelling, you know, let's beat them by 70, you know, whenever there was three minutes to go. Uh, just keeping the full court press on. Um, and and I, I, I was I was telling Logan, you know, I hope I, I was hoping that Coach McMahon was going to use every single one of his timeouts, make that game draw out as long as possible. So they had to sit through it. Um, but, you know, I think what they had to suffer through was enough, um, especially uh, the pounding that it was um, just re- really established um, who we are in this quote unquote rivalry and, and sent it out on top. Well, after what happened uh, yesterday in the Michigan-Wisconsin game, it was probably a good thing McMahon didn't use all of his uh, timeouts. We, we, we didn't need one of those situations with Nate James, but just total domination from the buzzer. And who got that started? None other than Mr. K.J. Williams. Finished the game with 25 points on in just 23 minutes. Uh, incredible. We highlighted that after the game. And Logan and Sawyer both mentioned the Twitter space and that was something completely new for us. Twitter spaces. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but essentially it's a platform uh, for us to hop on uh, Twitter. And I know a lot of our listeners are active on Twitter. So hope I know some of you jumped in and got to join us, but essentially what that does, it allows us to kind of do a podcast, but a collective podcast with everybody else. Uh, obviously what we're doing now is just the three of us talking I record it, edit it, and put it out to you guys. Well, the Twitter space actually allows you guys to hop in um, with us and can talk and talk racer basketball. And we want to thank the guys uh, who jumped in. I know Caleb and Jay and uh, Ryan, most everybody got to jump in and talk that wanted to. So that that was really cool for us and something new we tried, and it seemed uh, people liked it. So may do that again, may not. It's just going to be kind of random for us. And who knows, in the future, that might be something that uh, can be expanded a little bit. So that would be really cool. But uh, so we got to mention KJ a lot. In just 23 minutes, he's plus 37, goes for 25.7 rebounds. And and talk about a, uh, you know, on national TV, just being able to announce his presence early. There was a lot of talk about Hutchins Everett, how he's such a good freshman and you know, he's up there with the big dogs of the league, the brooms and the Musinskis, and KJ made him look like he was a point guard out there. Yeah, it was the KJ show. Uh, yet again, seems like that's a recurring theme over the past few weeks. And I believe he was 12 for 15 from the floor. Is that correct? Um, oddly enough, on Saturday, my dad and I um, drove down to UT Martin and on the way, we were just talking about KJ, and he said, when he gets down in the post, it seems like he hits 80% of his shots. And I said, well, in fact, he did on Thursday night. He, he shot 12 of 15. Um, but great showing from him. Uh, as always, we, we expected him to you know, feast down low on that uh, inexperienced Austin P interior. Um, but let's talk about our boy Rod Thomas coming in and just, perfect free throws nothing but net I think he was in the game for two or three minutes three minutes two points two rebounds um almost hit a 
what NBA step back three. Just just love to see it from our guy. Uh, but other than that, you know, all around great team win. I feel like everybody did their part. Um, really uh, played within their game and didn't try to do too much. And it showed when our team's buying in like that and, you know, doesn't care who scores and is playing unselfishly. We're just going to be so tough to beat. Um, there's not an OBC team that can beat us when we're playing like that. But, uh, you know, moving forward, when we inevitably make it to the NCAA tournament, you know, that's uh, that's something that other teams are going to be scared of. Absolutely. Just looking through the rest of the box score, you look at everybody on the roster. DJ Burns, 11, 11 points, five rebounds, two steals, and an assist. Tevin Brown, 13 points, six fouls drawn. Four rebounds, two steals, one assist. Carter Collins, two points, three assists, one steal, two rebounds. Juice Hill, 11 points, six assists, uh, three rebounds. Nick McMullen, six, re- six points, seven rebounds. Trey Hannibal, 10 points, five rebounds. Daquan Smith, 11 points, two rebounds, and a steal. I mean, everybody contributed at a high level, which was awesome to see. And, and for a lot of these guys, you know, um, we needed them to have those performances on Thursday so it could translate on Saturday. We'll talk about that when we get to Saturday's game. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that was massive. Uh, and, and, you know, you talk about things that I'm looking at. I meant to, I've been meaning to mention this for like the past month. But I love it so much because I talked about that, that discrepancy in talent. You know, we have our starting five. Okay. They're great. They're gonna, they can start for any team in the OBC. You look at this matchup against Austin P, who's, you know, what, top five in the OVC, maybe top six for the standings purposes. Our top five are going to start for them no matter what. McMullen is going to start for them. Trey Hannibal, of course. Daquan Smith, of course. Deontay Bostic, more than likely. Jackson Civils, he's going to be fighting for starting starting minutes. So every player that played, even, you know, even Rod Thomas, you know, our guy, uh, they really could use some three-point shooting. Um, and so, uh, you know, every person that played minutes for the racers could potentially, minus a, maybe one or two, be starters for Austin P. And that's just incredible. And it's not just the personnel. It's also, you know, the development. Um, I know Coach McMahon, after the game on Saturday, talked about how it was – if you want to be really elite in Division One college basketball or, or even in the world, um, if you're looking at John Morant, you've got to prepare yourself 300-plus days a year for it. And there's only one program in the OVC um, that does that, and that's at Murray State. Great point about that with our you know players coming off the bench. And I think that's uh, very important because a lot of our best teams, we've been able to say that exact same thing. Those, those key role players would be able to start for any other team in the league got to talk about the baby stats Sawyer you're down there in in Alabama with your babies and so this has to be the largest discrepancy maybe I've ever seen but uh I want to talk about you to talk about that one quick thing we won fast break 22 to 0 I don't think I've ever seen that I mean at least give them a layup or something but no no fast break points for the governors but Talk about the baby stat and dive into, you know, KJ establishing himself early and why that made such a big difference in the game. Yeah, well, first off, to your points about the the fast break points, you know, we only had five live ball turnovers all night and they only had 12 defensive rebounds all night, which we talked about in the Twitter space, which is incredible, almost unheard of. So great job by the racers to get theirs, but also to keep Austin P from getting um, getting any points in transition. 
Flipping it over to the points in the paint. Yes, I'm getting a lot of fantastic baby time down here. I really appreciate you bringing that up. But the final numbers, racers, 50 points in the paint, which is great. Austin P, 12. Uh, when you talk about having, you know, what they what they say is one of the top big men um, in the conference um, in Elijah Hutchins ever, who's a fantastic player, you know, you would expect more than 12 points in the paint. That's 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 fantastic. You talk about our our interior defense with KJ and DJ Burns and Nick McMullen, and we're doing all this without Jordan Skipper Brown. So you've got to throw Trey Hannibal in there as well. Um, so absolutely fantastic. And and Austin, you wanted me to touch more on on KJ. He had a tremendous game, but you know he played through foul trouble almost all night. So it's even more impressive whenever you look at the team aspect of how well they played on the interior. We weren't playing a zone, um, so it, it's totally different, uh, especially when you see it when we're playing man to man. You know, this is a a stat that you know from our efficiency numbers is going to really propel us forward. Yeah, you talk about efficiency, and I, I saw some stuff after um, Eric Haslam does the Haslam metrics and. It was the most efficient game for the racers of the year. Pretty obvious. You know, we shoot 69% field goal percentage in the first half. Uh, That's the highest half of a racer team, I think they said, since 2014. Uh, No drop-off in the second half. Went down to 59%. So 64% from the field. 85% from the free-throw line. Didn't shoot a ton, just 14. But still, 85%, 12 for 14 is amazing. And, uh, you know, 41% from three. So, awesome. Every single player, plus, minus, was in the green. So, every single player was plus. I don't think you see that all the time. So, that was pretty cool. And uh, just a fun way to wrap up the regular season rivalry, quote, unquote, rivalry with the governor. So, um, as I think the quickly deleted tweet from the uh, Go Racers account on Twitter said, uh, they can have the R's, we'll take the W's, or something along those lines. So that I thought that was pretty awesome. Unfortunately, it didn't stay up very long, but uh, really cool to get that win there. Who knows, might be the last time we face them as OVC foes. Like Sawyer said, they're kind of hovering around that fourth, fifth, sixth seed in the conference. Uh, so if they get a couple wins this week, I hate to say I'm not sure exactly what their schedule looks like for these last two games, but if they pop up in the four seed, could uh, very well be playing them on Friday night in Evansville, which, hey, would be A-OK with me. So we had us a fun Thursday night game, pretty stress-free, got up big early and kind of rode to victory. Let's turn that around to the not-so-stress-free game uh, as the road trip to UT Martin happened. And, Logan, you know, you and Dan got to go down on Saturday it was a beautiful sunny day for the road trip. And so before we dive into the game, I think the fans love your breakdown of the road trips. Uh, the the Tennessee State one went over really well. And so let's hear a little bit about your trip down south of the border on Saturday. Yeah, I'd love to. I've got a great story that uh, that happened on Saturday. So that morning, my dad called me and said, why don't we go down there early, you know, find a sports bar. We can sit there, watch other games and just kind of, if we're going down there, let's uh, make a day out of it. And um, we can get some lunch before and and then go watch, watch the racers. Sounds great. So we are, uh, 
we're passing through Graves County on our way down there. And uh, he says, why don't you look up and, and find us a sports bar we can go to? Sure thing. So as co-pilot, it, it was my duty to uh, find the best sports bar in Martin, Tennessee. And I expected to find, you know, nothing too great, maybe a Crapplebee's or something of that nature. It, but looking back, I would have been more than happy to go to a Crapplebee's. All I find is two bars um, that were in, I, I had no clue where they were, on uh, Church Street, I believe. And uh, from the pictures on Google, I couldn't really find any TVs in the pictures. And so um, anyways, I put it in the GPS. We head down there. And uh, at first we didn't, we we missed it. Um, There wasn't a front door or any signage really. And then we saw that the other bar was right next door, uh, basically joined the building. it's a small town atmosphere for those of you that uh, live in bigger cities. But um, so we had to go down to uh, the parking lot. There was a small side door that opened when we uh, pulled in and we asked them, hey, do they have TVs in there? And this sweet little girl came out and said, yeah, they've got one. And well, <laughs> that's good enough for us. It's that or we're going to Subway. And uh, won't be able to watch any ball games. So we we took a shot. Of course, we go through the front door, and right then somebody says, "Dan Foster, what are you doing here?" Of course, uh, one of the ten people in there knew us, but we <laughs> sat down, um, turned on the UK game. It was a a pretty wild atmosphere, to be quite honest with you. Um, a, a popular bar in Martin, Tennessee. Now that the slide and rod got shut down after somebody got shot there this year. But, you know, it's uh that's just comes with the territory when you live in Martin, Tennessee. So anyways, had fun there chatting it up with the locals and uh, we headed off to the racer game. And boy, was that a, uh, a treasure. I'll let you guys get into it, but we, I, I kind of did like a little uh, Elam center review um, sort of like I did at uh at Tennessee state, but, um, we can get back into the game if you guys want to. Yeah, for sure. Logan, thanks for sharing that. And we're going to circle back because we all want to hear about the Elam center and your last, your last chance yeah. to, to probably the last chance ever to watch the racers there, unless, you know, something, something crazy happens, but, um, glad, glad yeah. you made it and, out. And just to kind of reiterate my whole point of telling that story, if you ever have any need to go to Martin, Tennessee, and you're looking to, you know, catch some TV or, or watch a live game, probably stay where you're at and wait to travel to Martin till later. That would be a pro tip as uh, we learned the hard way on, on Saturday. Oh goodness. Well, I'm glad you guys got to find the one TV in, in Martin, Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> that's funny, but yeah, getting into the game. I mean, gosh, Sound the game probably went just about as good as your uh, luck finding finding the place to watch TV. It was not good for the racers at all. Only scored 62 points, but whew, a win is a win, I guess. But it was ugly and might have given me a heart attack. <laughs> Cannot confirm nor deny that. Like I said, my heart rate was still above 90, 
20 minutes post game. So I tried to go back and see the the highest I could see it get up to was 130 towards the end of the game, which, you know, I'm sure there's, this is not a doctor podcast that cannot be healthy watching a Murray state basketball game, but thank goodness the coach of the year, Matt McMahon uh, pulled out one last, uh, one last rabbit from the hat and called a great, great play. And, and the execution was amazing by Trey to set that screen on KJ. But we'll get to the end of the game. Uh, just kind of walking through it. It started out rough, kind of like the Tennessee State game. The UT Martin looked like the 93 Bulls. Uh, I think they started eight from nine from the field. And I know our defense wasn't complete lockdown, but they were hitting tough shots too. KJ Simon is a tough dude. Uh, made a lot of a lot of really big shots for them and I thought he about made the biggest one of the night, but luckily clanked it off uh, there at the end. But KJ Simon ended up with 24 big points for them, eight for 19 from the field, five for eight for three with nine rebounds from the guard spot, uh, played 31 minutes. Just a big game from him and, and probably the biggest game of his career. But just I, I didn't think we were able to, you know, thinking back to the Austin Peay game, we were able, able to establish that low post uh, very early and, I didn't feel like we were able to do that Saturday and it had a lot to do with Ryan Ritter's game plan on defense and uh, that zone gave us troubles at Murray and it even gave us more troubles at UT Martin as we only shoot 38% from the field in the first half. Um, decent from three, but only one for four from the free throw line. But, you know, sorry, just from what you see from that kind of packed in two, three zone and then they threw a little uh, different kind of look every once in a while but really that packed in two three that really packed the middle and uh gave us <laughs> probably more troubles than anything we've seen all year yeah it did um however in the in the moments that i was able to watch the game on saturday i agree with coach mcmahon and what he said in his post game i really liked a lot of the looks the racers got they were open um and you know they were in rhythm um, for the most part now down the stretch people started playing hero ball which I'd rather have someone try to make a shot than be too scared to shoot one, but they just were, we suffer from, from lower, lower quality shots. However, you know, like you said, um, it, it was, it was a strategy that I think will probably be, probably be replicated by other teams that we face moving forward for teams that just try to take a shot in the dark and, and trying to try to knock us off. But Looking back at the first part of the game, like you mentioned, just starting from the from the beginning, from the tip, you know, if you're looking to try to upset the racers, they played phenomenal, phenomenally on how to do that. Get up early, try to get some momentum. Logan, I know you said that the racer fans outnumbered the the Skyhawk fans like five to one, if not more. Um, and then, but you know, as it goes in the OVC, you're getting a lot of home cooking, and that's kind of how the the referee started to call the game. And you know, for a long time, it felt like the racers were in trouble. Um, not getting shots to fall that were open, um, got that big lead in the second half. And, uh, you know, I thought they were in, in, in the driver's seat. Everything was going right. Shots were falling. But, you know, we go for, I think it was four or five minutes without a basket. And we turn around and we're down by three. We're up by seven. So, actually, I think it was, what, a 12-0 run, actually? They were up by, they up, got five, got by five. Um, so, at that point, that's when my heart was going through through my chest. And if I if I were to tell you guys how nervous I was, uh, it'd probably be a pretty embarrassing look for me. But I know that Linda used to talk about having a trash can. You know, I probably wasn't far removed from that myself. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll start right there. Logan, I'll pass it to you to kind of figure out, you know, you tell us the story uh, of what it's like 
in the arena when we get to that point in the ballgame. Yeah, you mentioned Lindy looking for the trash can. That's who I stood by. Uh, at the end of the game, we were too nervous to sit down. We were up in the corner pacing. And, uh, man, you know, Coach McMahon mentioned how 50 years from now, nobody's going to remember um, that we won this game by two points. I'm not going to be alive 50 years from now because that game took years off my life. It was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I did not have fun. I'm telling you. And um, I, I really just didn't know how to explain it, which isn't good radio because I'm here trying to explain a game to you guys. But uh, kind of like how a few years ago when Ja jumped over the kid at UT Martin, you see the videos of it. But if you were there, you know that it, the videos just don't do it justice. It it was just such an incredible play. Um, the the atmosphere was crazy after he hit that dunk. That's kind of how like this game was. Um, you can watch it on TV, but if you're in that gym, and I don't know that it was five to one racer fans, but I would seriously say it was probably 70 percent Murray State fans. Um, we almost had more people sitting in their chair seats than they did. Um, it, the game just felt so weird, uh, just weird vibes all around. I don't know what was so different about it, but, um, just n- never really felt, it, it didn't ever feel like we were going to lose, but it also didn't feel like we were ever going to securely win the game either. Man, that, that's so crazy to me. Cause I guess just my watching the second half for me, when, when we went on that run there with uh, about 10 minutes to go, and, you know, it says right here our biggest lead was seven uh, at the eight-minute mark, I thought it was over. I mean, I was like, chalk it up, 16-0, and 0, hang the banner. And then, Sawyer, like you said, I think it was four to five minutes we didn't score, and they go on a 12-0 run, and we're down five with three minutes to go. And I said, we're toast. I I mean, we hadn't scored. We hadn't done anything. And I was like, this is over. Like, it all comes down to this, to a loss at freaking UT Martin. And I could, I can't imagine, Logan, what you were going through uh, there. Because I know what I was going through, you know, just watching it on TV. So, uh, I understand about not having fun. Even after the game was over, I was still in disbelief. Uh, I don't like to use the word deserve. Because I don't want to say, you know, Martin deserved to win that game because they didn't. We had the final score. We had two more points than they did. But they did pretty much everything right that they could have to to try to win that game. And it took a heroic effort from, from the Murray State Racers. The number 21, now 19 Murray State Racers to pull pull that win out. And, you know, McMahon said it postgame. Every special, every great team has a game like this. And if that's our game and all of us fans have to suffer heart attacks to get through it, and that's what will get us an 18-0 conference record, I'm more than happy to more than happy to do that. Yeah, um, and we haven't mentioned this, but the kid from Wendy's wasn't even playing, and he's played good against us this year. Um, so if he plays, who's to say we win that game? Um and so they were forced to put in um, a shooter, no offense to slide and ride, instead of having somebody that was athletic and could kind of guard um, 
you know, the bigs that we had on the court and give us problems uh, from an athletic standpoint. So I don't know. We, we got lucky. It was their best game they've played. I feel confident saying that and probably one of our worst. And so, uh, like you were saying, Austin, every good team faces games like that. I, I don't care if it's Gonzaga or whoever. They have nights where they slip up and don't play like themselves. And uh, the ones that can battle through and, and, you know, trust each other and, and pull through with a win, those are the ones that get stronger. Logan, you know what's crazy? We talk about all this stuff, but – you know, you look at the stats and, you know, take away the field goal percentage. It really didn't look that bad for the racers. Uh, and I think the second half helped a ton. But you look, I mean, we still held them to 60 points. Uh, granted, they shot 65% from the field in the first half, which is unbelievable. 13 for 20. They either made a basket or turned it over because they only missed seven shots. And so... uh you know, held them to 29%, 9 of 31 in the second half. So that wasn't terrible. Uh, you know, ended up out-rebounding them for the game, 37-35. Had more assists, had less turnovers. You know, points in the paint we did lose, but that was a huge stat in the first half. We were getting beat 20-4 to four on points in the paint in the first half and ended up coming back and winning that 12-4. to four in the second half. So that was a big stat. Another one for me, before I turn it over to you to talk a little bit more, Sawyer, down the stretch in the second half, we go 11 for 11 from the free throw line. And, you know, OVC, uh, honor roll, student of the week, Daquan Smith, it's probably the two biggest free throws of his life, almost of my life too. (laughs) So, glad he was able to knock those down in a very high pressure situation but 11 from 11 from a team that we that struggled uh shooting the free throws all year and uh just hey when it came down to winning time the winning plays were made you got that right Austin and that's that's really what I was wanting to to talk about and I and I started that conversation in the Austin P recap is that there were two guys who played amazing basketball and the, the type of racer basketball we needed from them to win that game on Saturday. And that was Tevin Brown and Daquan Smith. Um, and it's off of the stats that you mentioned, you know, Tevin had been really banged up. And when we saw the minutes we saw out of Tevin against Austin P where he, you know, put, put the guard that they have, the freshman guard that they had from, uh, for P, you know, absolutely locked him down, made him look like a deer in the headlights for most of the game and scored his 13 points, and then he you could tell he was completely locked in when he knocked down all those threes down the stretch against Martin. I mean, <clears throat> if we don't have Tevin knocking down those threes, trading baskets back and forth, three for three, you know, we, we obviously don't don't win that game at all. And then you look at you look at Daquan Smith with those with those two huge free throws. The confidence from that, I in my opinion, started on Thursday night when he had 11 points against Austin P. You know, played fantastic basketball. Sometimes I'm a little hard on Daquan because I want I expect him to come in and knock down threes. Um, and, and sometimes he does that and sometimes, you know, he does not. Um, but when that first free throw went up uh, up there and it hit the front side of the rim, I was like, Daquan, oh, no. And it hits the backboard and it falls through. I knew at that point the second one was going to be nothing but the bottom of the net. And that was huge from someone who only played 15 minutes was one of seven at that point, oh of four from three to step up and knock those down. That was huge and critical. And you know, it hats off to Coach McMahon for playing him as much as he did, um, knowing that 
this was a type of game that if Daquan was on from three, he could be a difference maker. And I think it just happened in a different way. Um, so that was huge. Austin, one other stat that I wanted to bring up. Fast break points. What did we just say about fast break points against Austin P? We outscored them. What was it? 22 to zero this week or this on Saturday against UT Martin. We outscored them seven to zero. So we went 40 plus minutes over two or yeah. Yeah. 40 plus minutes over two games, 80 plus minutes. I should say zero fast break points. That's insane. That, I don't think that's, that probably has never been done in the history of college basketball. We need someone to go and check that. That's, you know, that's absolutely insane. And, and part of that is, of course, due to, to our defense from our guards. But then also I think some of that was Martin playing to not lose uh, rather than playing to win, um, which is why we were able to take advantage. Because down the road, down the, end, down the stretch of the game, you know, our guys were prepared. Unfortunately, they've been there before in a lot of these close matchups, and they weren't afraid um, by the time that um, Coach Man was able to drop that timeout. You know, one other thing that I wanted to mention while we're on the stats, and, and also you, you highlighted a lot, how about that inbound defense on the at, in, inbounds they had from right inside half court after they called a timeout where they had to call that, that second timeout and we're going to take a five-second call. That was that played out to be massive um, in the ballgame. You know, D.J. Burns and Trey Handel were playing outstanding defense to shut them down, deny the inbound pass. What if they have that timeout with 10.4 seconds to go where they could draw up something. You know, K.J. Simon was red hot um, and took an outstanding and really tough three over Trey Hannibal with, with, with great defense, so I'm sure we'll talk about that more. But what if they had a chance to get him free? Um, and they didn't have that opportunity because of a play that was made, you know, a minute and a half before. And definitely more than a minute and a half because D.J. fouled out with about four minutes to go. So, yeah, huge. It just all played in, and everybody played their role, even, even when we struggled. Everyone still played a part to win this game. McMullen plays good defense in, in his seven minutes. But, uh, you know, just as a team, and you could see the joy of the team after the game, that video that was put out uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago when you're listening to this podcast of, you know, DJ obviously pumping up the crowd as he does, smiling ear to ear, saying, I got one, I got one, talking about getting an OVC championship ring. That just – Made me so happy, and and that that was cool to see. And then the scene in the locker room afterwards, the joy. That's what McMahon always talks about, playing with joy. And you could see, you know, like we've said all year, is you commit to it, you commit to the season. Obviously, we have the talent. That helps as well. But you play as a team, and now you are rewarded. These are the fruits of your labor and the joy that comes with it. You're a top-20 team in college basketball. You're hung a banner. You're going to get one ring, and now we've got two more weeks to to get one more ring for the uh, the tournament championship. Yeah, it just shows. It just goes to show you that what the coaches are preaching is coming through to the players. I mean, and that's what that's what you want to see in, in, in a special team like this because truly, as you said, Austin, every single play mattered, every single one of them. Going back to that where they had to waste that timeout to. Uh, Trey Hannibal catching that and one under the basket, um, just his extra effort there um, to the final play where Tevin, you know, former high school quarterback throws that pass in there. Looked like Casey Brockman throwing a goal line slant to Walter Powell to to secure a touchdown for the racers on the football field. Um, just 
incredible execution um, down the stretch. And that's why, as we mentioned last week, Coach McMahon should be coach of the year. Uh, a tidbit that I thought was really interesting after the game, Tevin Brown talks about how he and KJ Simon actually go back to um, to Florida over the summers and they play against each other, um, pickup ball um, down in Florida, um, which was which was great. You know, that's why he was so complimentary of his playing style and how great of a player that he was. Um, just really, really cool. Um, Logan, we have to get into your breakdown of the Elam Center. You know, this is the Elam ending um, for the racers um, before ever going back to UT Martin. So excited to hear your breakdown um, of the Elam Center. Yeah, I don't have much um, just because there's not much going on there. Um, I, I would like to talk about the atmosphere being crazy, but it was, like I said, 70% Murray State fans. Their band was average they were definitely the loudest um fans for ut martin and and we had some nice banter back and forth between our fans and theirs they like to to say scoreboard the whole time but um you know if i was if i was them i wouldn't be making people turn their attention to that raggedy scoreboard they have uh but anyways went to the bathroom there it was fair um it it is what it is at Martin, you know, typical low level um, OVC bathroom. But one last time, had to make a trip to the concession stand, and you know, I I call it racer telepathy because right when I got up there, who's coming behind me? Lindy Suter, and he says I got to make one more trip. So <laughs> I told him I said, there's no telling what they're gonna have and what they're not gonna have. Well, we go up there. To my surprise, I ask for a water, a popcorn, and a Diet Coke. And uh, they have all three things. Wow. What is, I mean, you're off to a good start. Oh, listen, this is the hottest that, that UT Martin's ever been. Apparently, they set some funds aside from their previous Murray State games and actually moved up from two liters. But, um, Lindy, he orders a large Diet Coke. It was about the size of a sippy cup, but, um, you know, that whatever. At least they had it. I will say, in terms of popcorn, I'm not trying to be funny, but the, it was the worst popcorn I've ever had. It wouldn't have killed him to put at least a little bit of salt on it. Um, I, I like butter on my popcorn as well, but, it, you know, I know that's a that's a luxury down there. At least a little bit of salt, that wouldn't kill you, um, Skyhawks. But anyways, I was impressed that they actually had what we asked for. Um, but the product was was less than ideal. Obviously, things are on the up and up at Martin because because they you know are up in their concession stand game, translated to the play on the floors. They almost knocked off the racers. And so honestly, I just think – Honestly, I think Ryan Ritter's not a bad bad coach. If I mean, he can get some decent players. KJ Simon's not; he's very good. He, you know, he, I have him on my first team OVC pick. Is you know to kind of uh, tease a later segment in the program, but uh, you know, it'd be interesting in a depleted OVC where they kind of shake out. Uh, hopefully, they can get some people that'll that'll stick around and can build something because uh, you know. Going forward, wish nothing but the best for Martin. And I will say, in their defense, 
they are doing a good job, that coaching staff. After what they went through last year with losing Coach Stewart right before the season and, you know, losing his son, Parker, um, to Indiana. So right before the season, lose your coach, lose your best player, really just dejected the whole team. Um, easy to see why they struggled so much last year. And then you have Coach Ritter come in, and he has to convince kids to come to Martin, Tennessee, to play for a team that was uh, a bottom feeder in the OVC last year. And so props to him. I think he's doing a, a great job, much like at Austin P. It's not going to be easy, um, you know, starting from the bottom. But uh, I, I expect in a couple of years, you know, with Murray State being out of the conference, for them to be uh, a contender at least. Yeah, he's doing a fantastic job. He actually, his dad actually is a, it was a, was a well-known coach as well. Um, and you know, when you think about it, they, I don't think they had one single player return from their roster last year. I think they are a completely different team, which obviously would, would be a uh, really tough rebuild. Um, and to, to go in there and, and have a team that's, um, you know, as you mentioned, often only one player on the first team or second team, all OVC list hang with, and have a chance at the buzzer to knock off the number 21 team in the country, you're obviously doing something right. So um, hats off to, to Coach Ritter that, and what he's doing down there in Martin. Yeah, guys, in, in his first year, that or yeah, kind of first year, I guess, um, he's got Martin in the tournament as the eight seed right now. So depending on what happens the next couple games from them, they've got, uh, they've got a game lead on both SIU Edwardsville and Eastern Illinois. So I know those two teams are playing tonight, so one of them will – hop up into a tie with uh, Martin, probably going to be SIU Edwardsville. They were up pretty big the last time I checked, but um, yeah, Martin with a chance to make it to Evansville, which, you know, you look at a team like that, that's just a big win for a program like that just to make the tournament. Yeah. Austin, to kind of, to kind of wrap up the UT Martin talk, um, just one thing that I wanted to, to talk about that, that, that I listened to this weekend that I thought was really cool that, that I think that this race for this race for team should have as a mentality. I got to listen to a little bit of, um, Jerry West uh, had a had an NBA All Star. They did a Legends uh, showcase, and they really highlighted a lot of guys who you wouldn't, who I normally wouldn't get to hear speak. And he got to speak about his career as a player and then as an executive, um, and just knowing a little bit about him. Not a very good child life for for Jerry West, who's the logo of the NBA. Um, he, he that's his silhouette, um, and he played for a number of years for the Lakers and was executive and, and things of that nature. And he talked about how. In his free time, he loved to climb mountains. And um, what he learned is once you get to the top of that mountain, things look different than you ever thought down below. And whenever you're trying to go for a championship and you're looking to, to play at your highest level, you know, you're always climbing that mountain. And his thing was once you get to the top of the mountain and you're looking down, what's right behind you? Everyone else is following right behind you. So what do you do from there? You climb the next mountain that's even higher. And that's what I think is the challenge for this racer team, especially this week. You know, you've got you, – you, you've climbed the mountain. You've Austin, as you said, you, we've won the 28th uh, OVC regular season championship. That's phenomenal. That's great. It's going to be celebrated, and we're going to celebrate it even more on this podcast. But, you know, there's still another mountain to climb. And there's probably actually two or three more. And so that's the part of the journey that for this next week, this next seven days, this racer team has to be ready, has to be prepared, and has to go at it with a different mindset and even have a, even more fire inside to be able to go and do something they've never done before, which is 18-0 and 0, 
um, and to be able to even chase that higher ranking to solidify yourself as a higher rank in the NCAA tournament. And that's why I'm excited as we jump into our final week of OVC regular season games. Thanks, Sawyer. I'm fired up right now. That was awesome. You can bet I'm going to cut that audio and send it straight to McMahon uh, so he can he can uh, he can build off of that and show the team because that got me fired up. That was awesome. That was awesome. So, you know, talk about climbing mountains. What's the next one to climb this Thursday night? Biggest game of the year so far for the racers. 8 p.m. on ESPNU. Got the what I will say real rivals. Belmont coming to the bank. It's going to be a fun one, boys, and, and I wish I could be there for it. I'm saving my days for the OVC tournament. I feel like I would rather have the Racer Nation magic in Evansville when it actually counts. Um, so I will be watching on TV um, with you guys and hopefully 86, uh, 8,658 of your other friends in the bank Thursday night. So, uh, you know, I got to go to the first Belmont game down there in Nashville and was completely surprised by the outcome. Uh, I think the racers are good. I don't know if they're 25. I think we got up 28 in that game. I don't know for 28 points better than Belmont. Uh, I think, you know, this is going to be a little closer game this time because they're going to be wanting a little bit of revenge. Well, Blakely, you say it's going to be a lot closer this time. What do you think the spread's going to be? Well, Logan, I, thanks for bringing that up, and we can go ahead and roll into it. It seemed like people liked our spread predictor from – last episode as we got some good engagement with the uh the graphic on twitter so we're going to keep that rolling for the next two games at least uh, i don't know how it'll shake out with ovc tournament and stuff like that but uh just to recap guys we we hit the nail on the head pretty much uh, sawyer did he 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 went two for two last week and hit the hit the austin p one just right on the head and then the ut martin just half a point off so uh i don't know maybe we can be we could be odd setters in vegas who knows uh, but I think we just have so much experience. That's that's where it comes down to. But back to this Belmont game. Uh, for me, I think we'll be favored being at home, being the number 19 team in the in the country. I think that's both very good things. Uh, you know, I think they'll take take a look back at us winning by 20. But I don't think you know they're going to look too hard at that, uh, just because that was almost kind of an anomaly, honestly, for us to win by that much. Uh, in a rivalry that's been decided by less than five points many a times, less than 10 points. And so with all that, I think I'm going to land on racers, racers by seven and a half. I know that's a, I don't know what you guys are going to say. I, I wanted to push it out to double digits, but uh, you know, Belmont's on a really good run right now, guys. They've lost, I mean, since we played them and, and took it to them back in January, Early January, they've lost one game to Moorhead, a close, you know, 15 point game to Moorhead. But, you know, other than that, they're on a 10 game winning streak right now. They've, uh, I know they haven't done well against the spread, but uh, they, they've dominated a lot of other OVC teams. So, uh, Sawyer, I'm going to go ahead and shoot it over to you. Well, Austin, you bring up that point. They, they've won 10 in a row, but, you know, we're all about the racers, but you need to hold your horses on this one because, it, looking back, like you said, against the spread, the Belmont has not performed well. You look at their last game; they played East uh, SIUE at home. That game was a one-point game with less than five with five minutes to go. Uh, you look at some of the others; it took them uh, a nail biter to to knock off Semo, very similar fashion. 
um, where they were they were tied up, you know, really close uh, halfway through or very, very, very close to the very end. Um, and then you also look at uh, even a game, um, even a game against Eastern Illinois, they really struggled to score in the first half uh, here recently. And then they obviously, of course, had that one point win against Moorhead when they only scored 48 points. So, um, you know, Belmont, I think they're they're starting to come along. I think that after they they won that game against Tennessee Tech on the road, having to come back and win in overtime, that was really what that their team needed uh, to kind of propel them for the future. But I still think that they're not the Belmont of old. But I think that they're going to draw a lot of money um, because people will think that they are. I was struggling. I was thinking between seven and a half and eight and a half. Um, I was going to go with racers minus eight to split the difference. So very, very close to you. Um, now that we're so close, I want to change it, but I don't want to, because that's what that was. That was where I was going to go with it. So Logan, um, I'll pass it over to you. I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. Boys, we are so far off. You're kidding me. I, no, I swear. No? So, okay. <laughs> Racer Nation may hate me for this, but I have it racers minus three and a half. I can see it. I can see the situation where it gets uh, to that. I really can. I really can. They, listen. Over the last 10 games that they have played, one being Moorhead, they have opened as double-digit favorites in every single game. Vegas loves Belmont. They respect them. They always value them highly and, and you know account for that in the spreads. Just, what, a little over a month ago when we played at Belmont, we were six-and-a-half-point dogs. So... It could be even closer than that. I'm I'm shocked that you guys think it's seven and a half to eight and a half points. So let me ask you this. Since you yeah. get that home court bump, um, which is normally, you know, two to three points, are you saying on a neutral court you think you would be a, almost a pick 'em? Yeah. I think Vegas would have it at that. Wow. I think I think it's wrong. I think we're clearly the better team, but um just the way but we're not sitting here picking who the better team is. We're picking what the line's going to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot closer than that, guys. I hope it's what I'm thinking because if so, I'm going down to the border. I'll see you guys at the mattress shop. There's no doubt about that. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. If it, if it opens up around that three, three and a half, uh, I think we're supposed to get five inches of snow here on Thursday. But my goodness, I'm putting in the four-wheel drive, and we're heading over to Illinois to, to make a bet on the racers. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Like you said, Logan, they're on a 10-game win streak, and 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 they love them in double-digit double digits. But you know, one thing about Belmont, their defense has been wildly inconsistent. I think that's one thing that they've struggled with. That. Um, they've been kind of able – they've been so disciplined in the past, and I think that's one thing that sets them apart. They can score um, their last three games, 81-81-73. <laughs> they put up 100 in that overtime win against Tennessee Tech, 88 against Tennessee State. But in those same games, they go – they gave up 61 to Tennessee State, 92 to Tech, 58 to Austin P, 47-48 that Moorhead game. But then back up to 72 to SEMO. 60 so they're giving up a lot of points they can be and then if you run into a hot racer team coming off a 
you know, a not great shooting performance in their home gym on ESPNU, you know the boys are going to be locked in. Like I mentioned a couple podcasts ago, you know KJ is going to be locked in. He did not get to show his KJ self in the first game. You know, I don't think we're going to get 36 from Juice. Hey, if we get 36 from Juice, that is A-OK with me. But, uh, you know, you can't predict that to happen again. But, you know, second week in a row on ESPNU, I don't think Musinski is a a great defender. I think he's good. Um, But, you know, he's no better than who – I mean, obviously worse than Broom is defending. And I don't think he's any better than Hutchins Everett's down in the post. And, you know, I think that's one thing I kind of wanted to touch on is if you guys listened to the Twitter spaces last week, we we kind of hinted at this that we were going to talk about it in the podcast. And this is something that uh, we talked about for a couple of months, honestly, and wanted to kind of save it for the podcast. But kind of a hot take on Musinski, uh, you know, three-time first-team OBC selection, I believe. This is his last year. And there's a reason he's a you know been on the first team every single year, and he's been he was really good his freshman year. But Sawyer, you've got some stats that show, you know, what they bill as consistency, what we might bill as something else. Yeah, Austin, absolutely. So Nick Musinski came on the scene hot um, his freshman year, uh, whenever in 2018-19, um, averaging 14 points and 5.8 rebounds a game. He was a sensational player his rookie his freshman year uh, at Belmont, and really, um, we thought the sky was the limit for for Musinski. Um, but over the past three years, um, he's still a junior on paper, but this is his fourth year playing in the Ohio Valley Conference. His his numbers are almost identical every single year to his freshman year. So, uh, like you said, build as consistent. Um, he's a fantastic player. He's going to be um, all OVC for his fourth straight year, first team this year. There's no doubt about it. Um, but you look at that and you see a guy who has performed well um, for four straight years, but has never really made that next step. And so that's why, you know, as, as us as racer fans, you look at the contrast of that with KJ Williams and how he's been able to grow every single year. That's the kind of player that I would prefer to have. You know, Musinski is great in his own right, very consistent, impacts winning in, in, in a different, different, a lot of different ways. Um, but he's truly never taken that next step. Um, so I think that's something that's interesting to look at um, on paper. And I think that's really, you know, one of the reasons why we have the advantage on Thursday night is that our guy, KJ Williams, uh, who's going to be battling Musinski all night um, has, has really progressed. Um, Not only that, but has figured out how to play him. Um, And so with a guy like Musinski, who's kind of stayed flat over his, over his four years and a guy who like KJ, who's going up uh, like on an, on an exponential slope, uh, if you will, then you've, you've got that, that area where the racers have a huge advantage. And it's not only that, you know, you look at a guy like Jordan Skipper Brown, played absolutely phenomenally against Aziz Musinski. So I think the book has kind of been written um, on him. Now he's going to be able to perform, you know, at a high level. He's still going to get his own. Um, But the numbers, his sophomore season, 15 points, uh, six rebounds. Junior season, 15 points, five rebounds. And then this year, 15 points, six rebounds. So about the same player all four years. Um, That's great uh, from a consistent standpoint. But I'm going with K.J. Williams, a guy who we've seen grow and take massive steps every step of the way. Great point there, Sawyer. I think that's something people might be kind of scared to point out because it's been billed for four years that Musinski's the best big in the league, but by far he has not shown that, I don't believe, and that's why he hasn't been recognized as 
a player of the year so far. You know, if you look at a guy who's for a career average 16 and seven or eight, you, know, you would think he or 16 and six, you think he would, you know, might be able to break through, but he just hasn't. That, you know, kind of questions the development of big men at Belmont. You look back in the 10 years they've been here, uh, they've been a guard ridden team. Uh, even Dylan Windler uh, plays the guard position. They haven't ever had like a difference difference maker big man big man and you look this year too you know Buzinski's playing 20 26 minutes a game that's you know about 60 percent of the game 70 percent of the 65 percent of the game and when he comes off the floor they don't have anybody to come in for him I think they put in Evan Bronze for him but he's he's not even close to the level of what you're going to get when you have even McMullen or skip coming off the bench and so i think that's one of their weaknesses this year and one of the reasons they haven't been the belmont that we've seen uh they're still very good they're still 24 and 5 on the year 14 and 2 in the ovc but they just don't have that special factor that you got to see from the 2018 belmont team or even that next year and i think another reason is we talk about preseason player of the year grayson murphy Averaging 7.4 points, 6.2 rebounds a game. That's not wild stats. I know he's not a scorer, but even last year he was up closer to that double-double average. And so you haven't been able to see him really be as effective this year. So I think that's a big reason. And that was a big reason the Racers got out to such a big lead was they were able to limit him, especially in transition. So uh, you never know what you're going to get from Belmont. Ben Shepard could come out and go seven for seven from three, and that's going to be tough. But uh, I think if we, you know, look at that points in the paint stat again, if we're able to dominate down low, and especially when Musinski comes out of the game, really take advantage of that, and then you know shoot the three at a 35 plus percent clip, keep our turnovers low. I think we're going to be expecting a covering Logan's three and a half point spread. And just, you know, aside from the game, it's, it's just going to be an incredible atmosphere in the CFSB Center. I was actually looking at um, the Ticketmaster today just for pure curiosity. And there are probably less than 40 to 50 lower bowl seats altogether left. So that's awesome. You know, the students are going to pack it in, especially after, you know, bumping up in the rankings again. And so that's going to be really cool. It's going to be senior night, at least for Skip and for Carter. It'd be interesting to see what happens with the other two that may not be coming back this year, but we'll have our answer for that after Thursday. And it's going to be on the U and what nobody's talking about, the the biggest non-game-related uh, thing of the night is our own. Sawyer Lawson is going to be taking the half-court shot for charity. So, you know, somebody hits a half-court shot, it's an automatic win for the home team. Uh, so, Sawyer... I hope you've been practicing down there in Gulf Shores because uh, no pressure. Yeah, thankful to we uh, were actually able to knock it down last year, so that was five thousand dollars for Super the Soul. That goes a long way. I get to I had the opportunity to serve on the board there, so it would go a long way again this year. Um, last year I was playing basketball with Logan once a week at the minimum. 
Um, the injury that kept me out of the podcast earlier this year, since then I haven't touched a basketball. Um, so I'm going to try to sneak into the CFSB Center Wednesday night after a 10-hour car ride um, back from Gulf Shores and then maybe try to get some shots up on Thursday morning as well. Um, but appreciate all the thoughts and prayers going into it beforehand. Um, you know, it's just another normal shot. You just got to keep your same form uh, from half court. The racers do it before every single pregame. So, um, you know, it's all about confidence going in. So uh, hopefully I can get some of that KJ Williams confidence. And uh, if the racers are off to a hot start, that's great. But if we can put it in, maybe it can be the, the thing that pushes them to victory. Um, but uh, but yeah, either way, one way or the other, um, when that happens, let's all get into it. Hopefully the crowd can get rejuvenated. And uh, I would love um, to have a tiny piece in a racer victory um, if it could go through the basket. So um, hopefully that'll happen on Thursday night. I'm excited for it. Sorry, we, we had the utmost confidence in you, in you as well. And I cannot imagine the scene when you drain the half-court shot in front of 8,600 fans and just rip your shirt off, twirl it above your head, run around the uh, run around the, the floor. It's uh, going to be quite a scene. And I, I get, Logan, I'm going to have to FaceTime you during that TV timeout because I'm going to have to see that live. Well, there's not going to be any shirt ripping off. That's for sure. I don't think anybody wants to see that. Um, but, uh, the expectation going in is to knock it down. So, uh, that's the only, that's the only thought I'm having going in. Um, and so hopefully, uh, my daughter will be there at half court. Um, the older one. So I'll, I'll celebrate by giving her a, a kiss and throwing her in the air. Um, uh, maybe a high five from coach McMahon on the way out. Um, and definitely Logan Foster better be at the bottom of his section to give me a chest bump. Um, if it goes through, uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that after it happens. <laughs> You got it, buddy. I've got the utmost confidence in you. Saw you knock it down last year, this year. No doubt about it, man. If anybody can do it, you can. So that's going to be really fun to witness one of our own out there on the floor. Uh, Hopefully, you know, I think he needs to do one of those deals after you hit it. Go over to the Belmont bench and just, you know, kind of like at the end of the uh, Wisconsin-Michigan fight, just a nice little karate chop down to the southern region. We're a big uh, wrestling fan base. If you could just do the D-Generation X move um, right in front of Luke Smith's face, just go down there and, and give him that nice little karate chop to the southern region, as as Austin said. You know, I think that would supplement you as a racer legend forever. Hopefully we can get um, one of those nice slow-mo videos of that as well. The only celebration I'm going to have is probably going to be between somewhere between Tim Tebow and Sammy Sosa with at least some sort of gesture to the to the roof for the one who actually made it go through the net. That's the only thing you're getting out of me. Man, what a professional. You're a much better man than I. I was going to say, it's 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 a good thing myself or Logan had taken and drained the half-court shot. We, we would probably be canceled as a podcast after that. So, But, hey, what a way to go out. <laughs> and talking about going out, talking about going out, and what a transition, guys. Let's talk about the last regular season game of the year. The Racers are going to go out on top, uh, hanging another banner in the CFSB Center as we travel to SEMO this Saturday. That's a four o'clock tip time in Cape Girardeau, and I know uh, that's a popular trip for racer fans. We've made that trip before. Like I said, get a little Lambert's beforehand and get up to the show me center to watch the racers and uh, guys SEMO's a scary team honestly uh, because they're a team that can put up points and put them up in bunches and as we saw just this past Saturday 
Morehead took another loss this year. They've now got four losses in, in the OVC, and one of them to the hands of Southeast Missouri State. And SEMO put up 92 points on the second-best defense in the conference. So, uh, you know, it went the racers' way the first time. We can thank all the way back to last year, 2021, as the racers went 1-0 and in the OVC to start this current 16-game win streak that we are on. Um, as the racers took down Southeast Missouri 106 to 81 at the bank on December 30th as uh, I was in attendance for that one. So that one was, that one was good, but uh, racers looked like they were just going to, you know, score a hundred points every OBC game. And obviously that didn't happen, but you know, the one strength of SEMO is their offense, their weakness would be their defense. So if the racers can go in, and score 106, I think we're going to, you know, obviously get another win. But uh, I think the key is just going to be to keep playing that disciplined defense that has been the staple of racer basketball this year. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be, you know, Simo's Super Bowl on steroids. They still consider the racers as their number one rival, which is hard for us to believe um, because they're not in our eyes. But they are to them. Uh, we are to them. So, uh, like you said, Austin, they got some really um, – really high fi- firepower from their guards. Their top six leading scorers are their guards. And impressively, here's their three-point percentage um, for, for the top six. Their guards, 35, 36, 36, 36, 39 percent from three. That's that's pretty solid from a group of six different guys. Um, so none of them outstanding, but they're all right there and capable of knocking down a three. But I think that you've mentioned it. I mean, I like we said at the start of this episode, we talked about when we played Austin P. All of our guards, we start for SEMO. So um, we have better talent than them. It's just us showing up um, to do so. You know, Racer Nation, if you're hesitant about making the trip and you want to go, just think back to that iconic picture of Coach Prome with his hands out extended and that race, the massive racer crowd right behind him. That's one of the coolest pictures in Murray State basketball history, and I love it for so many reasons, and that all happened at SEMO. So if you're thinking about making that trip, if the undefeated season is on the line, I can't think of another way for us to go out uh, than, than to make that trip. And if that's the, the, the circumstances, I know that our guys are going to be extremely locked in. Um, and that's why I think that this game on, on Saturday is going to be one that where the racers can look at it. And if they can just start hot, we've been trying to say that for a long time. I think this is a, an opportunity for us to really take advantage of our guard play. But as we mentioned, you know, their, their bigs aren't really, you know, all that present um, as far as scoring for them. Um, so if K, this is going to be another game where KJ can go off and have a huge night. Yeah, no, agree with with that in the post and uh, for KJ. He had 21 in that first game against uh, against SEMO, but didn't play a lot of minutes just because we were up a lot. SEMO uh, is currently the number four team in the conference right now, if you look at seeding. So a potential back-to-back with SEMO uh, from a Saturday to a Friday night if things shake out the way they are looking. Um, they are 7-8, and eight, and as Tennessee State and Tennessee Tech are both right on their heels – Austin Peay's also right there as well. So that four, five, six, seven, uh, right there, they're all separated by like one or two games. So that's going to be really interesting to watch these last two games. But, Logan, we talked about the spread in the Belmont game. This one was kind of iffy for me. It was kind of tough to pick, especially um, with the racers' struggles on the roads, on the road the last uh, couple Saturdays. So what have you got for this SEMO game for us? 
Well, first off, I'm glad you didn't ask me for any breakdown because uh, I didn't come with anything prepared. I'm definitely not watching any SEMO games this year and couldn't really care less about their team. Um, with that being said, I am a little nervous for the game on Saturday. Uh, if we do win Thursday, obviously that's the the one that we've got to win to make it a perfect uh, conference season. So nervous for it, but uh, just not going to. Not going to go and watch any highlights or anything like that of SEMO. Um, in terms of spread, I felt like this one was a lot easier than the Belmont spread. Um, I had this at 13 and a half, SEMO being favored. I'm just messing with you guys. <laughs> they would never be favored. <laughs> uh, that's a good one, Logan. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and go next because I'm right there next to you. Um, I, I I got it at 14 for the racers. So I think it's a – yeah, yeah. I think it's one you look back. The racers won by 25 the last time. But, you know, like I said, we've – we haven't been great against the spread on the road the last couple games. And SEMO has been solid. They they beat Moorhead last Saturday at Moorhead. They covered against Bel- – I mean, they had Belmont on the ropes. Uh, almost had them beat, you could say, until they kind of you know couldn't close the game out at the end. And they almost had Moorhead beat the first time when Moorhead played at SEMO. So like Sawyer said, this is going to be their Super Bowl. Um, so I think it – it, it starts out at 14, and that's that's my pick. Yeah, I'm not too far off from you guys either, especially I'm, in my calculations. I'm, in, I'm, I'm calculating in that the racers beat Belmont uh, on Thursday night, and I think that even even Austin with our with our predictions, I think the racers will cover in that game as well. Um, so with that being said, I, I'm with you guys. Logan, did you say you were 12 and a half? 13 and a half. 13 and a half. Man, that was really close to mine. Um, jeez, oh, are you gonna box me in? No, I'm not, go gonna box you in. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna okay. box you in um, because I think that Seymour also wins on Thursday. So I think it's actually gonna be a little tighter than what you guys think, just from us being on the road. I think it's actually gonna gonna be a more like twelve and a half is what I'm gonna play mine at. So I wouldn't wow. be surprised if it's closer to fifteen, like you said for like you said Austin. But uh, I'm just gonna go with the uh, with twelve and a half. We'll see how it goes. All right, I like it, boys. Uh, this is a fun segment, I think, and it's cool to talk. You know, last week we were all right there together. For the SEMO, we're right there together. But Thursday night, Logan going going low on us. So that's going to be interesting with uh, uh, when that comes out, you know, Wednesday night, Thursday morning-ish. Uh, just back to SEMO really quick. They've got a really good guard, uh, two really good guards, actually, in Eric Reed Jr. and Philip Russell. They've been giving problems to some big teams this year. They're a little undersized, so I think that's why they ended up at SEMO, um, both from the St. Louis area, so not too far away. Uh, but, you know, they've been giving people problems. But guess what? We have the best guard play in the league and the best defensive guard in the league. You know, Logan keeps talking about Carter Collins' on-ball defense. We saw that again on Saturday. I know we didn't touch it in the UT Martin game, but – UT Martin's point guard, Kobe Jeffries, had a huge first half scoring eight points. And then Carter Collins got on him, and he did not score a single point the rest of the game. So he made a huge difference in the first half and did not score in the second half. So Carter Collins' on-ball defense has been great. 
Tevin, obviously a great defender, and Juice and Trey can lock it down too. So uh, I think that's going to be the difference of the game for us to win on Saturday. One thing I wanted to mention for all those uh, who thought that the the Saturday night game with Moorhead versus SEMA was a little bit of a head-scratcher, there was a lot of uh, disrespect shown from the Moorhead side towards SEMO during that game. Um, the the Coach Bradlin and Moorhead is quickly becoming one of my more disliked coaches in the OVC. Um, and and one of our buddies who we've mentioned on the podcast for Stephen Carmen brought this to my attention. But during halftime, um, when Moorhead had when SEMO had the lead, he went in to the halftime break, got interviewed on their radio, whatever for their uh, halftime show. And saying like, yeah, there's no way a team of CMOS caliber should be ahead of our team at the half. And once the CMO players got a hold of that and their coaches, that lit a fire underneath them. So, um, you know, Moorhead was really, uh, I'm mean, sorry, CMO was really uh, excited for that game. You know, our our coaches handle it with a little bit more class. So hopefully they won't be as as jazzed up on that side as far, for, far as from a disrespect standpoint on Saturday when we come and play them. That's definitely interesting. And I know, I know McMahon will not be giving that kind of bulletin board material for SEMO to run with. So um, big last week in the OVC season. Uh, guys, you know, thinking back all the way to the beginning, we had a podcast with Kenny, Logan and I did. And Sawyer wasn't able to make it that that time. But we asked, we said, what, you know, what's going to win the conference this year? And we said 16 and two. And, you know, even if I don't even want to speak about this, but say the wheels fall off, 16 and two still wins the conference. And so we, you know, it's kind of fun to look back and think how uh, spot on we were there. But one thing I know is 18 and 0 is going to win the conference this year after the racers take care of business this last week of the regular season, rolling into the OVC tournament next week. And and one thing, you know, we talk about the OVC tournament week and, and we're, we're going to dive in a lot more in that next podcast because we're going to know how all the seating shakes out and the matchups and who Murray can face. And, you know, maybe something next week on the podcast we do, we kind of try to guess on how the games go and how the uh, kind of do our own little bracket uh, deal. I think that might be kind of cool. But uh, one thing that, that I thought would be kind of neat to see just for the three of us to see how it shakes out is uh, I wanted to guess the OVC postseason awards. So this is a always a highly debated Topic that comes up because it's voted by the coaches and SIDs of each school and, you know, may not always shake out how the racers want it or how the racers think it should shake out. And so uh, I thought it'd be kind of cool for the three of us to go through to discuss what we think might be the postseason awards for this season. You know, the reason we're going to do it this podcast is because by the next time uh, you guys hear us during the tournament week, these are already going to be announced. So that'd be silly for us to do all this guessing and then the awards come out and then we show how complete idiots we are. Hopefully you hear it this week, forget what we say. And by the time we're wrong next week, you've already forgotten about it. <laughs> so anyways, guys, hope y'all are prepared. Uh, this took a, you know, some homework for me. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out between all three of us. And with that, let's start out with, the highlight award that always gets the most most looks and that's going to be player of the year you know preseason was voted as Grayson Murphy Uh, I will go ahead and say on record I do not think he's going to win postseason uh, OVC player of the year but uh, 
I don't know. It is going to be interesting because I think we may all have the same or we may have a, du- a couple different guys we're going to choose from. So, uh, Logan, why don't you start us off with who your pick is for OVC Player of the Year? I'm glad you guys prepared for this. I certainly did not. Um, so, listeners out there, please take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, but this is going to be pretty cut and dry, I feel like. Um, I, along with everybody else uh, in Racer Nation, feels like KJ deserves to be player of the year. Um, however, I'm going to say that due to the spite from the OVC, they're going to give it to Janai Broom and just give Murray State the middle finger, kind of do it nicely to Belmont um, since they love them, uh, but just show us the door. And you know what? Uh, I hope KJ gets it, but if they don't, uh, if they don't give it to him, they are in for a rude awakening down in Evansville. Well, Logan, what a take, but a take that I think is totally reasonable and something that should be expected um, from Murray State fans when you consider uh, the fa- the past history and the historical um, uh, pattern that the OVC SIDs and, and how it all shakes out in the past. So definitely something that we should keep an eye on that we should watch for. Um, however, I'm going to go with Mr. Williams uh, from Murray State for a lot of different reasons. And Austin challenged me with the uh, the, ch- the task of trying to go by and, and try to challenge and try to find uh, KJ's efficiency numbers and his per numbers um, for his uh, season this year uh, in conference for the racers. So let me run and grab that real quick, and I'll be right back with you to share with you what I found. All right, KJ's efficiency rating um, per 40 minutes um, for the racers this year is a 33.64. So what does that what does that mean for us as racer fans? It, it takes into account um, his points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, missed field goal attempts, missed free throws, turnovers, game plays, and minute and games played and minutes played to come up with this ratio. And it's 33.64, which is absolutely off the charts. If compared to the NBA, there's only one person ahead of him um, in the NBA uh, with a higher rating, and that's uh, Nikola Jokic um, of the Denver Nuggets, So, uh, who's going to most likely be MVP of the NBA this year. So um, KJ is playing out absolutely outstanding. I went ahead and ran his per 40 stats as well. If KJ Williams played all 40 minutes every single night for the Racers, he would average 26 points per game and 14 rebounds per game on an average uh, basis um, during conference play. Those are numbers that you will never see. They, they may have happened in the past a long time ago um, when rebounding was, was crazy um, back in the day um, with some guys like Dick Cunningham, stuff like that, but uh, for the racers, but nowadays that's, those are numbers that are completely unheard of and never, you will never see those um, in college. So that's why I'm going with KJ Williams that paired with his winning um, his ability to bring it the nice, the racers needed it the most um, 39 points against uh, Tennessee state outscoring them in the second half. What he did against the best of the best, Logan, if you pair him with your player of the year, he dominated them both games. So for me, it's an easy choice. Austin, you're next. Absolutely great pick, Sawyer. And, you know, there's a reason I asked you to try to get some of those numbers and appreciate it. As everyone who listens knows, I'm not the math guy on this podcast. And so appreciate you doing that for me. And the reason I asked you for that is because, He's going to be my pick for player of the year. And, you know, you got the you got those per 40 numbers, which was amazing. I want to tell you right now, 
He is first in the OVC with 18.6 points per game. He's second in rebounding at 9.8 to Broom. He's second in field goal percentage at 56.1%. He's second to Musinski. And he is number one in steals at 2.1. And the reason I wanted those per 40 numbers, he does all that, and he's not even in the top 25, not even in the top 25 in minutes played in the conference. So that efficiency number is off the charts. Those per 40 numbers are off the charts. And, you know, they may vote and give it to Broom, but there will be a absolute riot on the Internet because you can just point straight back to the stats. As we always say on this podcast, the numbers do not lie, and they do not lie in KJ's uh, situation as well. I agree. I just uh, wanted a little bit of dissension and felt like it was boring if we were all going to pick KJ. No, I like that. I like it because I think it's something we've got to be prepared for. Uh, You know, Racer fans revolted the year John Morant was not freshman of the year, which is still baffling. And he made everybody look silly in the OVC tournament that year by not picking him. And, uh, you know, it's it's possible it could happen again. I just don't think it will just because of the pure numbers and the pure dominations he's had against multiple teams. So we'll see. All right, moving down the line, let's go to defensive player of the year. That's the one that's listed second on the official press release from the OVC. And so defensive player of the year, uh, I'm going to go with Mr. Janai Broom. Uh, To me, he makes the most sense. I think you could, you know, two-time defensive player of the year, Grayson Murphy, is still there. He's actually second in the league with steals behind KJ. So he, he he picks the pocket. But just for Broom in the post, he has 75 blocks on the year. Number two in the conference has 27. 27. He has three times the amount of blocks as anybody else. And as we talked about the first time Moorhead played, uh, we played Moorhead. He has more blocks than most teams in the conference combined. So pretty crazy. Just his, uh, to me, that one stat wins him Defensive Player of the Year for the OVC. Sawyer? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Mr. Blakely. Um, you know, the, ga- the game that is really, you know, seals it for him was the night where he beat, uh, they came back and beat Martin on the road. Um, and he had 19 points, nine rebounds, and just missed that triple-double with nine rebounds because he had 12 blocks. Um, that's that's insane. That that uh, solidifies it for me too. Um, I don't know if it's just uh, the look on his face he gives off, uh, offensive players whenever he's guarding them or what. Uh, they just seem to be really really poor against him, uh, especially whenever he's able to block their shots around the basket. So um, because he's not going to win Player of the Year, the LBC is going to toss him a bone and give him Defensive Player of the Year. I can try and come up with some alternative here, but there's no other. Uh, averaging four blocks a game. I think on the year, um, as of the recording of this podcast, he's got 116 blocks. The next closest is Musinski with 50 on the year. So he has more than doubled uh, the next closest guy. Um, he's just, on the defensive end, he he changes the game in the paint. So good on you, uh, Janai Broom. You get Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, definitely an easy pick with that one. So rolling through, uh, Freshman of the Year. Uh, this is one that, for caveat, I probably would have put Rayshon Taylor in this uh, category. But since he's been hurt the last few weeks, 
I don't think he will get it. But for me, my pick is actually going to be Philip Russell uh, from SEMO. Philip Russell is a guy who averages 14.2 points per game. That's best for ninth in the league. He's fifth in field goal percentage, which is pretty impressive from a guard standpoint, and also six with 3.8 assists. So he's a guy who's won multiple Freshman of the Week awards. He's had some big games. You know, I think you can kind of throw Will Richards in there from Belmont, but I don't think he's been consistent or done enough to put his name in that conversation. Like I said, I think if Rayshon Taylor plays the entire year, he gets it hands down. Um, but just with him being out the last, you know, three three or so weeks, that kind of takes him out for this award. So that's why I think Philip Russell from CMO gets it. Who do you got for us, Logan? I'm going to sound like a broken record and like I'm just a fan of Moorhead, but uh, I think I'm going to go with Janai Broom for freshman of the year, the uh, the Ben Simmons special, winning it again in his second year. I love it. If the OBC has anything to do with it, you better believe that's probably going to happen. Um, but for me, Blakely, I'm going to go with the easy one. Uh, I'm going to say Rayshon Taylor. Uh, I don't know if his if his stats qualify him enough to be able to do it, but he's leading the nation or first or second behind Paolo Bencaro, uh, Bencaro from Duke as far as most highest scoring freshman I mean, all of college basketball. So if he's eligible, it's easily going to be him. Yeah, he was so good against Murray State when when I got to watch him up in up here in Edwardsville. Uh, just for him personally, I hope he gets better. I learned so my fiance's uh, brother goes to Edwardsville, so she he's got a little insight. I didn't realize he'd actually torn both ACLs in high school, and that's what kept him from getting looks. Tore his left ACL uh, his freshman year, and then also this year that left ACL didn't tear it but had a sprain, and that's why they were like, we're just going to shut him down for the year. So really hate to see that. Somebody with that much talent to have that much trouble. Hopefully Rayshon gets better. All right, guys, let's talk about the next one. Uh, going to be Coach of the Year. So, Logan, tell us why Preston Spradlin is going to be Coach of the Year, because I know you are a guy who's all on that Moorhead tonight. Yeah, I just can't get enough of the Moorhead. Um, Preston Spradlin, I think he has a chance to win, um, just because they do not want to see anybody from Murray State have any sort of accolades. Uh, but I think you just have to give it to Coach McMahon. You know, uh, when we did our little pick'em contest at the beginning of the year, my pick for Coach of the Year was Penny Collins. That didn't age well. My reasoning for that was because it seems like every year, instead of who the actual coach of the year should be, they just give it to somebody that is middle of the pack who won a few more games than they did the previous year. Somebody that was a total bottom feeder and somehow made their way to sixth or seventh in the league. They give them coach of the year. So that was kind of my way to get different in the pick'em contest. Um, but here, if uh, even if we don't, finish the season 18-0, and 0. It, you just have to give it to Coach McMahon. For the talent uh, that he's brought in, the way he's turned this pro, or turned the, um, the team around from last year to this year, and uh, really in big games, his play calling has really shown up um, to, to make a huge difference. Yeah, Logan, I think that even in, if you take your philosophy into play – if this was Coach McMahon's first year of college basketball, um, you know, he obviously inherited a team last year who did not do so well, uh, who did not have a winning record. 
Um, so you, you take that into consideration, a guy who just had a team with, that did not have a winning record to take them and be undefeated. Um, that's even more impressive. If you look at the blind resume, if you look at what happened last year versus what happened this year, you know, you look at Belmont and Moorhead, you know, their coaches did fine this year, but they also played for the conference championship last year. So, uh, in my opinion, it's Coach McMahon for so many different reasons that we've already talked about on this podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, this year should be clear cut as ever. I hope they do the right thing. Well, and another thing is you look at Moorhead's roster, you look at uh, Belmont's, it's the same players. Half of our roster is new. So within less than a year, he's had to really make these guys gel, buy in, and believe in being a team together. And, you know, record speaks for itself. He's done that quite well. Yeah, and even to your other point, the players that came back, K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown, are both player of the year candidates. So it's that offseason player development that obviously something had to have changed to take them from where they were last year to this year. So every way you can break it down, Coach McMahon is deserving it. Totally agree. To no surprise, I'm also going to pick Coach McMahon. You know, the Racers were were picked third preseason, and they're going to win this thing running away with it. And so no first place votes for like the first time in a ton of years. And then we just absolutely dominate. I'm going to use my time to uh, say how this should be the fourth coach of the year award for Matt McMahon. 2018 uh, coach of the year was Matt Figger from Austin P. Austin P was 19 and 15 that year. Murray State was 26 and t- six and won the OVC uh, regular season and tournament championships. Very next year, 2019, Coach of the Year was Rick Bird. I guess it was his last year, so maybe that's why he got it. You know, Belmont was preseason number one. They finished tied with Murray State for number one. Uh, we were 27-6 and six and also won the OVC championship, tur- tournament championship that year, and he was not rewarded. I will even argue the very next year in 2020, uh, that was the one that kind of got me. Coach of the Year was A.W. Hamilton from Eastern Kentucky. They were 16 and 17 that year. What did Murray State do? They just lost the greatest player in OVC history. And McMahon gets them to 23 and 9, hung another banner, the third regular season championship in a row, and lost on a last second layup in the conference tournament. That is three times he hands down should have one coach of the year. So, This will be his first coach of the year, should be his fourth, and it's been unbelievable that coaches with losing records who did not even play in OVC tournament finals were rewarded with coaches of the year. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. All right, let's move on now to first team accolades. Uh, So... One thing that I don't agree with, another thing the OVC does that I don't agree with, is they put 10 players on their first team. 10 players is not a team. Five players is a team, right? Don't we all watch basketball where there's five players on the floor at one time? Yeah, I think that's right. So, Sawyer, uh, you go ahead and give yours while I kind of uh, calm my role uh, really quick and come off that high of dissing the OVC. No, I'm right there with you, Austin. I mean, I said the same type of thing last podcast on how he was disrespected, and um, now I'm glad that he's finally exacting revenge. Um, So for me, as you said, 
we're not a math podcast, but we can get that right. There should only be five players on the first first team, but I'll go through it and, and list mine with you. If there's somebody who I've omitted, please forgive me. I tried to put this together at the last minute on vacation. So um, here's my 10 players. Uh, if I've, if I am leaving this up for editing in the future, once I hear everybody else's picks, but for me, uh, the 10 players that I've got are, of course, I'm going to try to break them down by team. Of course, starting with us, KJ Williams, Tevin Brown, and, and, and Justice Juice Hill for me. That's my top three um, from the racers. Of course, Janai Broom, um, Nick Musinski, Ben Shepard, and Grayson Murphy, uh, all from Belmont. Uh, KJ Simon, I'm throwing in from, um, from Martin. Uh, along with Eric Reed Jr. of SEMO. And for me, you know, Austin, if he's eligible, I think that Rayshon Taylor actually should be considered in the first team list for what he's been able to do. Um, he's top three, four in the league in scoring and what he does with it, what he did with his team um, while he was on the court was great. The record was not great, but he was an outstanding player. So that's my top 10. I saw you. I think you done really well with the situation of you not, not being around and able to do the research that, <laughs> the rest of us were able to be able to because I'm going to have a lot of similarities. So to kind of add a little different um, spice to this, I have my top 10 and I'm actually going to try to list them in order of who I think are, you know, should be the top 10 players of the league, one through 10. So I might get a little hate for this, but, you know, that's fine. So number one, I have KJ. Number two, I have Broom. Number three, I have Tevin. Number four, I have Musinski. Number five, I actually have K.J. Simon. I think he's got his name up in that conversation. Number six, I have Eric Reed, because I think he's very good. Seven, I have Juice. Eight, I have Murphy. Nine, Murphy from Belmont, Grayson Murphy. Nine, I have Ben Shepard from Belmont. And then for that 10th spot, you had Rayshon. I'm going to go with Carlos Marshall for Tennessee State. Uh, he's had He's got Tennessee State in a really good position going into the OVC tournament, and he's been problems his size and everything so that's why i included him on my first team so hopefully i don't get run into the ground too much for that but that's the best i could come up with one for ten one through ten um as the top ten players in the ovc this year so logan uh let's hear what you have for your top ten uh or all ovc top ten this year guys i've done it again i have um i've researched the wrong thing I misread the text. I was busy all day. I guess I skipped over the assignment. Um, That's partially why I didn't have anything prepared for the um, individual awards. Um, I thought we were. Is this going to be is this going to be like the nipples invitational again? It's um, (laughs) it's more relevant. I was I actually stayed on task, but I did the opposite. I thought since we were kind of like a a funny podcast, a fan podcast. We were doing the, the not OVC team. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. So I can I see where you get that mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I comprised a list of players that I would like to see. Um, well, I would not like to see, but you know, I think would put up a good game against like an Eastern Illinois. So right off the bat, um, starting at point guard, we have um, Carlos Paez of Austin P State University. Uh, he will definitely not be making a the the first or second team all conference uh, team this year. Looking at his stats, you would think that 
after losing Jordan Adams and Terry Taylor, he would actually score more points and get more assists, be more involved in the offense. No, not Carlos. He's actually decreased by two and a half points per points per game and almost a full assist per game from last year to this year. So uh, he is our starting point guard for our non-OVC team. Um, at shooting guard, we have Twinkle Toes Luke Smith, who has really just been underwhelming this year, uh, scoring four points a game less than what he did last year, having a great senior season, uh, great for Murray State standards. Um, we like to see these Belmont guys just kind of crap the bed in their senior seasons. So um, we got Luke Smith at shooting guard, small forward. We have to go with Jake Wolf, and I don't even have to go into his um, his stats or anything. Everybody just knows he's the worst. So we'll move on to power forward, and that's actually going to be Caleb Hollander. Um, it, some fans are calling him Kankles Hollander. I would never do that since I'm a professional. I call him Caleb. But, you know, he started all but two games last year for Belmont. This year he's only played in in six games. I don't know if he's hurt, but, you know, there's, um, he was awful to watch anyways. So he is our power forward and center is our guy. Uh, the second best player from the Tennessee state game we had a couple weeks ago, Jalen Dupree, who is really, um, you know, he transferred to Samford, played a lot his, uh, junior season. And after that has just been, you know, very, uh, he's been on the decline, so um, I put him as our center for the all non-first OBC team. Oh, man, Logan, I tell you what, that that might be the best segment we've done on this podcast. I, I, la- I had to mute my microphone for you guys listening, and I laughed the entire time you were talking. That was That was perfect. All right, so here's another fun thing we can do. Guess the spread of that team against Eastern Illinois. It's close. Yeah. I think these guys being, well, a few of them are starters. Um, I think on a neutral court, they may be four-and-a-half-point favorites over Eastern Illinois. I know one thing. I will definitely be taking the under in that game. Yeah, not a lot of points (laughs) scored. Oh no! I think it's oh, tough. No. I think it's tough for me though because who would I have coached that team? Well, can Marty Simmons coach both teams? <laughs> I don't think Marty Simmons can coach one team. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's my point. Wow, Logan, that was that was phenomenal. Easily the best segment we've ever had. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. I'm glad that my uh, unpreparedness can make you guys laugh a little bit. Oh, that's that's great. That's great. Well, uh, Logan, we'll we'll run through the last two. I don't like you said, I don't know if you're prepared for this last couple, but sorry. And I'll run through who we think is the second team. Not. Yeah. OK, good. Good. Thank you for uh, admitting. So we can run through real quick. Second team and newcomer. I'll just start off with second team. I've got Hutchins Everett from Austin P. I I thought he's shown a lot this year and he's been an anchor for their team. Uh, this is where I put Rayshon Taylor in. Like you said, I think Rayshon's on the first team, but with the minutes he's missed and the games he's missed, that's bumped that bumped him down to the second team for me. Uh, I went with a staple of the OVC second team for 
maybe the last 15 years with Junior Clay. Uh, I thought he's a guy that, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I thought he's a guy that fits right there. You know, we talked about him struggled early this year, but has really, you know, done what he does and plays at a second team level in the OVC. Next guy I have is Skylar Potter for Moorhead. You know, I thought with them finishing third, they can't just have Broom on either team. So I thought, who's their next best player? Skylar Potter. Sure ain't Wolf. No, no, he's on the OVC eighth team, actually. But uh, then lastly, I kind of struggled with this one. But if I'm going to give him a freshman of the year, I think Philip Russell gets on that second team line. Yeah, Austin, I'm with you there, too. I had Elijah, Elijah Hutchins Everett as on my second team as well. I had it reversed. So whenever you had Carlos Marshall on your first team and I had Rayshon Taylor on my first team, I, I swept him. So I have Carlos Marshall Jr. on my second team. Um, for me, I also have Philip Russell Jr., um, or Philip Russell, sorry, uh, Philip Russell on the, on the second team as well. And then also I had <laughs> Junior Clay. I mean, his name is Junior. So um, obviously on the second team. So uh, that's crazy how they were so similar. Uh, the other guy who I just barely left off was Kasim uh, uh, Nicholson uh, from TSU. His stats are actually really, really good. He's a double-double double, double, double guy in the OVC or close to it. Um, he's, a, he's a transfer guard. I think he's just like his sixth or seventh year in college basketball. So um, he's really played well against a lot of the lower teams your teams in the OVC, but uh, he was my sixth man on the second team. All right, just rolling into the newcomer team of the uh, of the year. You know, I, I'm going to go with um, Rayshon Taylor um, if that's if he if he's still eligible for that. Um, then I'm going to go with Will Richard, uh, who we already mentioned from Belmont. I'm actually going to go with uh, a teammate uh, of Rayshon Taylor and Dijon Pruitt. Um, his stats are actually fantastic um, for for a newcomer. He's actually a freshman as well. Uh, if you were to go back and look those up. Obviously, uh, Philip Russell, um, who's also from, uh, who was mentioned as our uh, freshman of the year potential uh, candidate. And then I was really torn as my fifth player, whether going with DJ Burns or Trey Hannibal. I'm going to go with DJ Burns for what he does on the offensive end of the floor and his defense. Probably not going to be the guy who they pick, um, but he would be for me. All right, Sawyer, I like it. Uh, I think we've got a couple different ones here. You know, you said Will Richard. He's a guy that I almost put on that second team, but just his inconsistencies this year is what kept him off. But I still think he's on that newcomer. Philip Russell, obviously. Uh, Ray Sean, I think if he's going to get on anything, it'll be this. If he doesn't get second team. Hutchins Everett, again, I think he's a impact freshman. And this last guy, sorry, I don't know how you left him off, probably because you're in Florida or in Gulf Shores. Um, K.J. Simon, guy we both had on our first team. And uh, he's going to show up down there on the newcomer team as well. So that is going to wrap up our picks. Hope everyone had fun with that. Um, you can join the conversation as well to to go through your picks. And even if, if anybody wants to hop in, uh, I think it might be more funny to do the non-OVC picks. So uh, as Logan as Logan graces with. So if anybody wants to hop in on the non-OVC picks, that could be kind of fun as well. So uh We'll see if we're right. Uh, we'll be able uh, – yeah, yeah, we should be able to recap this on the next podcast because I believe they do the all the OVC awards on Tuesday during the day. So if we keep our regular schedule of uh, recording on Tuesday nights, we should have all of our answers. So that will be kind of cool. Hopefully by that podcast we will be celebrating an 18-0 and season, a player of the year, a coach of the year, all the first-teamers, maybe a couple newcomers and uh, be getting our bags packed for Evansville. So that's going to be really fun. Uh, one last thing we wanted to mention on the podcast, uh, got to talk about John Morant. 
What a special night for Jaw, his family, the NBA, all of us fans of Murray State, all of us lifetime Jaw Morant fans. And what does he do? He just has the two biggest highlights of the NBA All-Star game. You know, we, we had a lot of questions. We were texting last night why he didn't play there at the end. I think he kind of answered that post-game was he he really wasn't trying to push it too much. I really would have liked to seen him in there at the end because I think he could have been the difference maker to put a Team Durant over the top o- over Team LeBron. But, you know, either way, it's just an all-star game. And for the rest of your life, he's going to be all-star John Morant. Yeah, Austin, absolutely. That was honestly a surreal moment for me as a racer fan, um, getting to see John Morant uh, as a starter in the All-Star game. You know, we've been talking about it for a while, but seeing it in person was was just absolutely phenomenal. I, I went down, um, once the girls went to bed, I went down and um, had dinner by myself at uh, one of the local establishments down here um, in Gulf Shores to watch the game um, after they went to bed. And I sat uh, at the bar um, at uh, one of the establishments down here whether you're drinking or not, I think the bar is one of the eating, eating, having dinner at the bar is one of the coolest places just to meet with people and just to talk and, you know, coming in to watch the game of myself. That's kind of how I wanted to do it. I sit down. The lady next to me is from who just retired from the University of Missouri is actually a racer graduate. Um, and the guy who's actually um, got my food prepared was a huge NBA fan and said that John Morant was his favorite player in the NBA. So how crazy is that, that um, I go to some random hole in the wall place down here uh, in Gulf Shores. And, and that's, that's the conversation um, in the conversation with the lady who uh, was a Murray state grad. She hadn't been back to Murray since she got graduated. She said she graduated in 1978. So I actually kind of talked to her into coming back through Murray on her way back. So she's actually going to come through town, which I thought was really cool. Um, but it just really kind of shows you the, the landscape of what, you know, John Morant can do and, and, and Murray state basketball can do for, the city of Murray and Murray State University as an institution. So it was really cool to see. It was really honestly kind of humbling to see that that's that's the way it is uh, in, in the real world. You know, in some random occurrence, I was able to have that experience. So that was really cool. Um, and so definitely going to be a memory I take with my, me for a long time. It was very, very cool. All right, folks, as we uh, get close to wrapping this up, uh, you're in for another long one, obviously, as we are good to deliver good you know two-hour podcast uh when the racers squeak one out and are 16 and 0 but uh we've got to get to logan's listener of the week everybody's favorite segment logan what do you got for us this week oh boy do i have a great logan's listener this week actually a racer legend that hit a shot to help us win uh an ovc championship once upon a time um, this listener actually, he's been following the podcast account for a while. Um, we all three, uh, have interacted with him in the past. He's a great guy and actually had his first child this week. And so as a little, uh, baby gift, we are giving him Logan's listener of the week. And that man is Jawan Long. You know, I never personally knew Jawan, but um, after he graduated, he came to quite a few games and would sit in my section, and uh, we'd kind of talk back and forth um, a little bit sometimes about the game, what was going on. Uh, just super nice, a very uh, well liked by Racer Nation, very respectful guy, um, somebody that I know you two have talked to plenty of times in the past, so. 
really happy for him, you know, obviously having a, his first uh, child this week um, and just great things going on in Jawan's life with becoming uh, Logan's listener of the week as well. Yeah, Jawan's just the greatest guy, uh, you know, thinking it back early in our podcasting days, uh, he was my pick for the hardest working racer uh, on and off the court for me. I, I've mentioned the story where uh, in his graduate years, he, he was a GA for the basketball team, but he was getting his graduate degree um, in occupational safety and health, which is what I got my degree in. And so we had classes together. We were in group projects together. So I got to know him really well. And I think, like I said there, we didn't do much work. We just talked racer basketball the whole time. But, man, just the nicest guy. Uh, would do anything, would always work hard at whatever he did, and uh, just really happy for him. Uh, happy he's uh, he's going to be a great father and know that. And he's all, still always tweeting about racer basketball. So it's awesome when you have players like that that are still engaged um, from far away. Yeah, you talk about being the hardest working racer. Um, I I strive to be a, a a good father, not a not 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 even a, a great one. I just try to be a good one and. Even that in itself is extremely hard work. So uh, he's built for it. He's going to be a tremendous father. And, you know, he's one of those racers we talked about who paves, who has paved the way for the success that we get to talk about every single week. So hats off to Juwan Long. Great person on and off the court. Um, it's about time he was Logan's listener of the week. All right. And as we close it out, there's there's one more piece that we have to discuss um, that I thought was of the utmost importance to talk about this week. And, and that's the work of our lady racers. You know, obviously um, they are doing a fantastic job this year. They're having an amazing year. Um, I wish we had enough time every episode to be able to give them um, the roses they deserve. We just talk so long that it's hard to be able to give them uh, their, their moment to do it, to do it justly. Um, So hopefully we can uh, maybe launch a a women's podcast in the future to talk about all all the great stuff they're doing. Um, But you look at them right now, 12 and four in the conference, um, 20 and seven, um, just one of, I think five or six, uh, years in women's history um, where they've had 20 wins. That's incredible. And there's still a whole week in the conference tournament to play. That's phenomenal. Um, you also look at, at what they did this past week, you know, knocking off Austin P who had beaten them already this year, beating them at home um, without their best player, or, you know, if not one number one, a one B and Macy Turley, that's amazing. Uh, huge. And you look at, look at coach Turner, you know, obviously all three of us are Murray high guys. We know of her character. Uh, we know of how she creates a culture of winning um, at the highest level. And, you know, it's it's taken her just a little bit of time, as it would take anyone, uh, as it took Coach McMahon a little bit of time to be able to get his culture in place. Um, you know, she now has a winning uh, a record in her career. I think she's close to 75 and 70 above 500. She's the I think she's one of two coaches uh in program history i think i saw a tweet that, that said that um that is coach leaves 100 games it has a winning percentage over 500 so hats off to coach turner the great things are already happening but the better days are to come and i can't wait to be a part of watching them and, and their success so um you know we we don't have a lot of time to every single episode to dive into it um because they deserve every second that we give them um but the rate lady racers are playing phenomenally and there's not a group of guys who are happy happier for them than the three that are on this podcast so shout out to coach turner um coach evans uh, everyone over there who was doing a fantastic job in in making the women's program uh ready to roll for the missouri valley conference sawyer thanks for bringing that up because like you said they they deserve every bit of it and you know, I think I read or saw today that uh, Murray State University, one of six uh, basketball 
men's and women's programs in the country where both teams have at least 20 wins. So that's really cool. And like you said, the three of us have a lot of respect for Coach Turner, uh, knowing her in the Murray High days, and so just really happy for her. And with that, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast. Uh, on our recording, we're two hours and 30 minutes in. I know we're going to cut some of this out, so it might be a little, little less, but hope you guys are in for a long podcast. Guess what? It takes about two hours to get to CMOS, so hopefully you've got some listening material to get you to Cape Girardeau uh, this weekend. But uh, we know everyone's going to be pumped up after the big weekend. We know a lot of people are going to be excited for this Belmont game uh, Thursday night, so we're hoping a lot of you enjoy it. You made it this far in the episode as the number 19 Murray State Racers look to go undefeated 18 and 0 for the first time ever in the OVC. So we're all excited. We know Racer Nation's excited. It's a great time to be a racer. Uh, it's always a great time to be a racer. And with that, Sawyer, thanks for joining us on vacation. Thanks for taking two hours away from your family time. Send us out with the Go Racers. Well, hey, first off, thank you guys for recording late uh, to let me do this. Um, obviously, family comes first, so uh, you guys have to accommodate me more times than not. So I really appreciate that, and especially my lack of, of homework this week, which was very apparent on the newcomer list, how I left off Hutchins Everett and KJ Simon because I literally had nothing prepared, uh, as I completely forgot about that. Um, but that was great, Blakely. I'm glad you carried the load for us there. Um, but, yes, this is a huge week. I can't wait to to get back to the to, to the great Commonwealth, God's country, um, for a huge week of racer basketball. I'm jacked up, fired up. This can't be can't get back here sooner than rather than later. I already know on my way back from uh, Gulf Shores to Murray, I'm going to be listening to the radio play from Kenny and Neil of when the racers beat Marquette. That's going to get me pumped up uh, for this great week of, of racer basketball. So, without further ado, go racers. Go Racers. Go Racers.